The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. You're very welcome to The Farm Show. On the programme this evening, uh, we'll take a run down to Thomastown to visit a beef farm, an exemplary beef farm, I have to say, uh, down there near the uh, village town. Metropolis of Thomastown. That shouldn't insult anyone now. And elsewhere, we're going to be uh, chatting, obviously, about that uh, RTE Investigates uh, programme on uh, Monday night, I think it was. And we'll have, of course, March reports. But first of all, this evening, I'm delighted to welcome Michael Summers into studio, uh, not to talk specifically timber on this occasion, but about a, a very impressive-looking event that's happening up in Gortine College next week, uh, Energy and innovation. Michael, you're very welcome. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Michael, we'd better get the, 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 the details out of the way first. Uh, where, when, what time? Well, the Farm Diversification Energy Show is on next Thursday in this day week in Gortine College. It's North Tipperary. If anybody can picture that area of Tipperary between Galway, Offaly and Tip itself, it's up there in that part of North Tipperary. And um, it's a show that's been running for the last six years now at this stage. I know there was a, a year or two missing there with lockdowns and COVID and the like, but it's been a very successful event and it's branched out now into rural um, uh, diversification, diversification on farms. Um, is It started off as an energy show and energy is a big part of it and how uh, farmers are growing and using energy and producing energy and as we move forward in all this climate debate um, the production of energy is still going to be a, a big part of it to, for people to just go and do their basic work or indeed heat their homes or and any and any the other benefits we'll say of um, of just living upon how we're going to do these things into the future so we have um over 100 speakers will be there on the day. So there's different workshops upon different elements. But, but a lot of them speaking at the one time in different places, I hope. Oh, yeah, in different <laughs> places. Like, yeah. it, it, it's a, like it's a pick and mix. Pe- yes, people yes, can go around yes. to whatever they want. We also have over 70 trade exhibitors up there. They'll be in the horse arena up there on the day. It's a, a wonderful venue and service that they have up there. And there's five practical demos of which uh, wood chip, which I'll be involved with, will be one of those so again like we will be expecting a, a decent enough crowd on that because this is the really the future of farming and where farming is probably moving to it's amazing how forward you move and then you look at the past and you realize that have we really moved that far either so uh about growing our own energy it's it, it's it's a, a big issue going forward yeah that's an interesting point you make it's something i was just thinking about driving in this evening energy i mean it's what farmers have always been involved with for millennia whether it was uh, the energy food is an energy uh, as such and it has to be produced and will continue to be uh, a necessary energy for for human life and uh, of course uh, you mentioned off air yourself uh, we were producing energy 100 years ago oats to fuel horsepower literal four-legged horsepower 
Oh, sure, that's it. Look, I, I spent um, a, a lot of time in maybe towards the t- 2015 into 16 researching all that kind of stuff and particularly oat production that we had uh, uh, from, from we'll say, maybe 1920 backwards. Uh, the production of um, of cereals, indeed, in the production of timber for energy production was a, a huge uh, part of farming. And uh, indeed, even during the Second World War, I do believe my own part of the world was the highest place in Ireland uh, there was compulsory tillaging so like uh, again this is nothing new but again the new technologies that are out there are and uh, it's just the means uh, of making ourselves uh, self-sufficient in the whole use of energy no more than we've seen in the last year where gas prices have fluctuated enormously and as has oil prices we're probably moving to an area where we have to look at our own uh, supplies and our own production and creation of energy and farmers can play a very important role in that yeah now there's a there, there's a difference between different energy sources and energy production systems and, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about renewable energies obviously some require uh, a rededication of the of the farm of the of the land but others don't. They're, they're an add-on that don't actually necessarily impact on the core uh, f- farm enterprises. Well, exactly. Look, the biomethane is, there's a lot of workshops on biomethane alone uh, next week. So, like, we have Bill Callaghan, the Chief Inspector of the Department. He'll be chairing that one with Sean Fine and uh, uh, Sean, myself, soldiered probably in Mokra for a long number of years. He was president at one stage. Morris DC is also there. Uh, they will be discussing about um, uh, the roadmap to biomethane methane on Irish farms but that's not just ju- just um, the other we'll say like obviously uh, we're looking at small scale solar production indeed even large scale solar production and probably farms in this part of Ireland has been um, have been attracting interest from, from various other renewable sources and there are implications for their farm enterprises on those so like uh, again these are the questions and the workshops and the breakout sessions that those questions will be dealt with and uh, you know, like it's it's it, it's a big part of it. Um, like energy, yes, um, renewable energy is all well and good, but it has to fit within the farming system and how land is designated as well. No. You spoke there about biomethane, and apart from a few isolated plants, uh, we don't have uh, a, a general network or, or, or string of biomethane plants around the country. I know there's an awful lot of uh, momentum building up. Are you telling me I'll wake up in five years' time and we will have a structure, a, a, a built-to-scale structure of biomethane uh, production units around the country? Well, Matt, I don't have a crystal ball like that. All I know is I studied in Freiburg 20 years ago. And in the Swatswald in the south of Germany, there was my methane plants everywhere. Again, small farmers uh, bringing bringing their produce, uh, their grass uh, put into these plants, uh, wood chippings, offcuts, whatever else, the other types of waste that they had. They were producing energy twenty years ago. That technology has obviously moved on an awful lot since. So it's not reinventing the wheel. It's looking at what systems are already there and how we can fit into those things. And it looks like all the the, the dots have been joined up now that we will see the emergence of of, of that as a new industry, a new sector. It's just one. 
Like, um, it's just one. Like, there are, obviously, if we're looking at our tillage crops, the production of, of, of rapeseed, looking at oil, we have a, a major push towards electric cars. Uh, that's uh, government incentivized. Uh, all these things are, 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 are coming into play on this. And again, it's when the farmer sits down and looks at how do you utilize my land the best way I possibly can. Uh, does it suit the system? Because like we talk an awful lot about cutting back on cow numbers, but we haven't talked about do we increase our grass production either, or indeed we we talk an awful lot in, in my sector anyway about the increasing of, of planting trees. Now trees are good for the environment, but again we're looking at how do we utilise those and are those products are there can we utilize the wood chip market even more than it is at the moment because we really only have one processing point at the moment for wood chip in ireland can we evolve that and uh, can, can we utilize brash and other material that's coming off woods again i'd love to say we're at the infancy of this but we're at this a while and uh, as we're moving along we have to look at how the research that we've used into the past how this can be put into the practical use of the product that's derived from the land going forward i've i've often had a a curiosity about wood chip is it a kind of a i won't say self-defeating but an almost neutral exercise because you use an awful lot of energy to dry the wood and chip it and transport it before you know, you you burn it and produce a, a, a new energy. But I, I don't know do you use an awful lot of it to, to dry it in so far as that it's the pulp material we're talking about and that can be dried with the wind at the side of the road and it dries. Uh, so like obviously there's other markets that might be using pulp where it has to be produced quickly but uh, the w- wood is drying out where it is so it's getting the moisture content down. Now again I know there's certain parts of the world <laughs> parts of Ireland that if you leave uh, timber out for a long enough period of time the moisture and content increases and we've done a lot of work over the, over a long number of years of looking at uh, what's the best drying phase how long do you leave it to dry but like a lot of the manufacturers of trip and the users of trip are now looking at maybe 55% moisture and I go back to 2007 and 8 and when we were at this stuff initially uh, we were looking at 20% uh, moisture um, to get the calorific value um, higher but now it seems that wet chip can be taken and the furnaces have used utilised itself and indeed even if you're looking at brash like again the needles wasn't taken that time because of the damage that the chlorine in the needles was doing for um, for the burners themselves and it was self-defeating so again like we're, we're, we're talking about utilising the low value material here and obviously if you look at the byproducts of the sawmill and sector a lot of them are using their own uh, sawdust for keeping the furnaces and um, and keeping the dryers going, and some are indeed even producing wood pellet from that, particularly from conifer sawdust, which would have a high lignin content anyway. So there wouldn't be no binding process in it, unlike hardwood um, uh, uh, sawdust, which does need a binding uh, product to to keep it together. So we're looking pretty much at science having caught up and 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 defeated or overcome a lot of the uh, problems that were there in in you know alien materials that wouldn't work well in a, in a furnace, for instance, and you no longer have a man or a woman with a shovel this is all automated oh well, that, that went out in the fog I think I was the last person to use a shovel Matt <laughs> to be honest with you no but like this is all automated auger systems um, this is completely automated like uh, 
most farm sectors are, are, are automated now at this stage but again this is what we're looking at because uh, we have to think of even from a job creation point of view the fishers that are needed to fix and maintain these machines as well so like it's, it's not just um, the actual growing of the product it's how we utilise those products to for, for job creation going forward but energy is not the only part of this like obviously farm diversification the use of tourism how uh, how we um, grow different types of food and uh, again like all this will be covered on the day and you know like uh, we, we, being in Kilkenny and Carlow like they have two massive big tourist blocks for, for diff and attracting different types of tourists into the two counties uh, again how do we promote that get get get, get home says get bed stays again we'll be covering that on the day as well and um, you know like uh, again it's it's a fairly varied event yeah, and there are still plenty of opportunities for rural tourism. I mean, that was talked about 30, 40 years ago and, and is still being talked about. But a lot of people have entered into it in, in one manner or another, even from the point of view of doing up um, the old houses or barns or that kind of thing and providing tourist accommodation. And, and whilst we mightn't think that, you know, that's not very attractive, an awful lot of people who live in huge uh, urban areas think, wow. Well, I was out with a particular landowner that had done that a couple a while back, and he said that's all they do here is run around. They just walk. Again, if you're living in a in a large condensed city and you're only living in a very an area smaller than the studio here, you appreciate the open spaces and the uses of uh, nature and the plants growing and the water flowing and all those sort of things that we might take for granted. Uh, people that don't see that that's what they're coming here for uh, again like how many people come here to walk every year how many people here actually don't come to the bigger centres to come for other um, other aspects and again like I've spent the last ten and a half years working in Clare and I realise particularly down there the amount of farm tourism and bed stops and self-catering um, uh, uh, businesses that are working off farms down there uh, again I see it I see farmers working in it and it's something to behold because again it's just another enterprise on the farm and it's often the case am I right Michael of working with what we have I, I instance the greenways for instance a lot of that the, the, the thoroughfares there were overgrown railways for instance and uh, also, the fact that uh, people coming into the countryside only m- maybe want to walk up or down that boreen or gaze out at cattle or something. It, it, it doesn't have to be reinventing the wheel. It's, it's what we already have and maximising the, 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 the benefit, the economic benefit of that. Well, sometimes less is more, Matt. And when you don't have it, and we might look, think looking at cattle is a daily basis and something we do every day, uh, people don't see that. And again, I'd also think from our point of view, no more than what we've seen going on in the agricultural sector in the last couple of days, it's very important to show this upon what really happens on farms and to give it gives that other self-esteem of building our, our, our sector up because like we, we do take a lot of passion from all sorts of sectors that might not know what's going on and um, that don't they obviously have other vested interests. We as a sector need to promote what we do and look, tourism is just one part of it um, and, and it just shows people how their food and energy is created because like for a long number of years farmers have been talking an awful lot about food production but I just think we need to kind of move away from that because there's so many other environmental services that farmers offer and we don't promote that as much 
obviously food security is a massive one like we we need to feed the world but we also keep our waterways clean we also heat houses we also build off of land products like it's the landowners of the country that are doing this and again we we, we have to be uh, as a sector very conscious upon what we do and maybe people that are involved in our sector might not see what's happening but we should promote ourselves at every opportunity yeah, just looking back at the day at Gortine again, which is uh, primarily why I, I asked you in here this evening, you're expecting big crowds based on precedent. Oh yeah, look, we're, we're covering a lot of issues there. Um, we, we would be expecting around 4,000 people, Ash, it's 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 the only bi- specific bioenergy um, event in the country, and uh, again, like it's it, it it's um, it's not the hardest place in the world to get to. Um, it's it's fairly well serviced, and uh, there is a lot of stuff being covered. The only thing is, people are coming just to register online. So farm diversification, if they Google that, they'll get into it. Or um, the old energy and agriculture will still get them there. And uh, there's a lot of uh, agencies involved. I'm not going to mention them all out because we've been. Mm working away on it for the last while but but basically uh, for anyone that wants to go on there's no gate fee no uh, it's an eye opener and a mind opener a mind opener and it's starting at half eight in the morning and it's going all the way up to five o'clock and again it's pick and choose and, and it's the middle of July when if, if if people have any bit of slack time it's in the middle of July uh, well it'd be also good for Kilkenny people just to go to Tipperary in the middle of uh, in the, the week before you're the not suggesting now that we'd be rubbing it in uh, absolutely not but sure, it's nice to be confident <laughs> <laughs> all to look forward to it we'll have mention of uh, that particular game later on Michael Summers thank you very much for dropping into studio this evening the Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. A couple of weeks ago, I went up to Tinnahili to see the launch of the Carlow uh, Wicklow Wexford uh, signpost, what I call extension program, because it's it's a it's rolling it out to the the, the greater uh, farming community. And Kilkenny uh, and Waterford had their launch earlier today, so I took myself down to the O'Hanrahan Farm in Thomastown and got chatting to one of the people who is going to be a, a main driver of that rollout in the Kilkenny region, Patrick Dunphy. Patrick, this is the natural follow-on, isn't it? You had the, you had the, I won't call them the elite, but the people who put up their hands and volunteered the first, the, the 100, 100 or 130 signpost farmers, and now you're trying to roll out many of the actions that are necessary to the general population. Yeah, hi Matt. So look, we are out here on Peter's farm today. He's one of 120 signpost farmers throughout the country. And these farmers are really um, showing what other farmers can implement on their own farms, how to implement these technologies on their farms, and how other farmers can use that information then and bring it home to their farms. So what we're doing now is we're trying to get every other farmer in the county in Kilkenny involved in signpost. I suppose look how we're going to do that. I'll be going out to discussion groups, meeting with farmers. I'll be doing a workshop in the discussion group with them, showing them what's involved, what technologies they can bring home to their own farms to help reduce their emissions on their farms at home. I'll come back then to the office, I'll put a plan for that farmer, and then I'll help that farmer along the way to implement them technologies on the farm. So it's not just a workshop, we're working with the farmers the whole way along to implement the technologies to help bring down the greenhouse gases on every farm. Yeah, and you have developed, I'd call it a computer-type programme to assist in that regard, to put in the relevant figures for a person's individual personal farm and uh, find out how they can make money as well as reduce emissions. Exactly, Matt. Yeah, so we have an AgNav programme there. So we're taking information from Vorbia and from the ICBF 
and bring that information together to see what the farmer's number is. So once the farmer knows their number, then we can make a plan on that and help how to help reduce the emissions. And look, with that, a number of these technologies are also going to help you know, improve the finances on the farm as well. There's a financial benefit there. Something like protected urea. You know, it's uh, a lot cheaper than can in terms of units of nitrogen, and it's also a lot more efficient. So there's a lot less emissions associated with it. So it's, uh, there's a financial benefit there for the farmer as well as an environmental benefit too. And it's not all or nothing, Patrick. Uh, farmers can cherry pick what suits best for their own circumstances at a particular time and, their, and, and the shape and structure of their own farms. Exactly, Matt. Yeah. So look, we're going to be developing the plan to suit your own farm and what works for you. And so to every, every plan for every farmer is going to be different. So they're going to have their own plan on farm. We'll pick a few points, so maybe just three or four actions you can implement on your farm to help bring down the emissions. But every, far, every plan will be tailored for every farm. Yeah, and I noticed some of the figures put up on the, on the boards there today by yourself and your colleagues uh, suggest that, for instance, uh, protected urea, not only is it better for the environment, but it's more efficient. It's actually cost beneficial in terms of growing grass. Yeah, so I suppose, look, five tonnes of uh, can is the, is the equal to about three tonnes of protected urea, and there's about a €750 Euro saving there, Matt. So that's a big, that's a big saving there for farmers, uh, as well as the environmental benefit from it as well. It's a lot more efficient. There's a lot less emissions associated with protected urea compared to can. Just on a, on a, a, taking a step back, Patrick, I get the impression that whilst we have a big mountain to climb, a lot of it is, is climbable. Yeah, very much so. I suppose that's what we're trying to, to get um, to show farmers, say, here at the launch, that, look, we have a plan in place, we're here to help you along the way and we'll do everything we can to try and get um, to try and help you reduce emissions on your own farm but there is a plan in place there and you just have to work with us and we can we can do it between us the best of luck with your endeavours and you'll be chatting to us uh, again Peter O'Hanrahan we got a chance to chat again I was here I was here last autumn uh, looking at the farm and the fact that you're a part of the signpost programme and you're holding hosting the open day here today I recollect looking at the weanlings back in the autumn and I thought they looked well they're looking very good as yearlings now yeah, they're doing well. I suppose they're they're getting they're getting good grass the whole time. Look, I think they're probably a small bit back on last year's ones. They had a tough March. Then we got the drought. Grass is a bit stemmier, but they're after the last couple of weeks now. They're after they're after driving on. Yeah, I was talking to your dad earlier, and he said the hiccup there in the drought because this place is a fine farm, but it does burn up in extended dry periods. So you're bound to get some kind of a, an impact on weight gain, but won't stop you turning those finishing. I mean, what December, January, anyway? Yeah, the the suppose the best first sixty will probably be finished in December. Um, last year, I suppose we finished them a little earlier. We finished um, sixty five of the Frisians at nineteen months of age last year, which I was fairly happy with. These will probably be a couple of weeks later, but still they'll be killed under twenty two months. Being part of the signpost program, I call you a pioneer with another hundred and thirty farmers scattered around the country in all the sectors. You're still pleased with involvement as shown as shown benefits, environmental benefits, obviously, but also economic benefits. Yeah, sure. When you're getting the advice, it's hard not to it's hard not to take it. Look, yeah, sure, we're low emissions, story spreading, getting better soil results with it, going to different paddocks instead of just always going to the same paddock with the with the with the slurry. Grass measuring is a big thing. We're getting probably better weight gain, some grass, clover. We're spending less money on chemical nitrogen. We have a good bit of clover in the swords now. This year, I suppose we're after putting in thirty something acres of the red silage or red clover silage swords. So I'm gonna get no chemical nitrogen on that, just slurry. I know there's there's great interest in your house in Camogie. Disappointment over the, the the loss to Cork on Sunday, but at least we have the All Ireland senior men's to look forward to. Yeah, been interesting one. Think they'll do it. 
that's the big question now, right? I, I think, think they'll do it. What I do think, you think? I think they'll do it. Yeah, probably the best team equipped to play them at the moment, obviously, because where they are, I suppose. Absolutely, we're the last, the um, last one standing. Yeah, I sure the 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 fight in the in the Kilkenny teams never seems to change, does it? No, no, and the Camogie a pity, uh, almost yeah, only barely pipped. It's usually with the cock. And Kenny Camogie is always usually only a point in it and over the years has always ever seen a point either way they're always close Peter we'll talk again thanks Matt I also happened to meet Deirdre Glynn uh, of Chagascat at the open day on the Hanrahan farm and on another subject Deirdre because of course you you speak to us regularly about water quality on the on the farm show I saw an email came in from you and it intrigued me invasive species tell me tell me what, th- th- there's a, a plan to try and at least reduce invasive species I presume mainly on the bank of water courses. That's correct Matt look we have a bit of a, an epidemic of say Himalayan balsam and giant hogweed um, so we're having an event really out in Kelts um, next Tuesday on the farm of Bill Hutchinson starting at 11 o'clock so we're just looking at these invasive plant species so we've the Himalayan balsam so we're going to do a little bit of balsam bashing it's called, we're going to destroy the plant, show how it's done properly and what the implications of it I suppose I'm involved in water quality as you know and these grow particularly now they're growing all over the countryside but particularly on the banks of rivers so when they die off and they take over they're invasive they take over from grasses and other indigenous plants and when they die off then eventually they destabilize the bank and they lead to the soil and the phosphorus and the nitrogen that's built into the soil going into the water bodies and also a build-up of sediment in the water body so we're in the Kings River next Tuesday everybody is welcome and thanks again to Bill and Norvision who are involved in this and in this event next Tuesday and Deirdre when you say everybody is uh, everybody is welcome you're not talking about farmers you're talking about anybody that wants to lend a hand to read or reduce these species which have a hugely uh, negative effect. Oh absolutely and listen we really would love farmers to attend as well but community groups and uh, anybody that's interested in, in identifying the the invasives because they look like beautiful flowers and beautiful plants so uh, just to get an awareness of what they are and how they can be treated correctly. Yeah, and it's all part of the endeavours of the greater farming community and the whole of society to try and improve water quality. Absolutely, Matt. And tell me, in terms of uh, those figures that came out then from the EPA, overall, I got the impression just looking in, in the background that uh, things haven't disimproved, certainly, but there is, as you regularly say, there's room for significant improvement. And I think farmers are buying into that. No, absolutely. Look, engagement rates nationally are 96 or 97%. And then the actions that the farmers are taking with us re-engaging are extremely high as well. So engagement rate is really, really good. We have seen wins in Kilkenny which is fantastic. Water quality has improved in a number of water bodies. We've seen very, very little disimprovement within the priority areas for action which is very, very improved, which is brilliant as well. So it's a good news story but there's more work to do. We can get more momentum with people and, you know, get all of these actions that we are trying to you know um, that we're trying to 
get out there to farmers. If we can get more of this work done, then we'll have great wins. Yes, and it's all part of a, a, a bigger picture, isn't it? Talking to Patrick there about the signpost programme initiatives, that all feeds in directly or indirectly to water quality, air Absolutely. quality, soil quality. Absolutely. There's crossovers between the different steps or actions that Patrick will be, be implementing on farms and farmers that are joining the, the programme are going to be implementing and also with what we are asking farmers to do on farms. So hopefully we'll be able to work jointly. Now, oh, that was Deirdre Glynn, uh, ever enthused about her uh, subject of water and water quality and uh, the development of better practices to enhance water quality. Let's look at a few diary items. Castle Gannon Show, as uh, Michael Phelan told me today, good belly hail man, uh, told me today is happening next Sunday. Matt, he says, when I was down in Thomastown, give it a plug, won't you? I will, of course, and show, show jumping uh, dog classes. Something for everyone, all happening at Castle Gannon on next Sunday. It really is show season. Elsewhere, just a prelude of a gig, a concert that's happening on uh, the 19th, that's Friday the 19th of July in the Set Theatre. It's called Gig Duronan at the Set Theatre and it features uh, artists like Irla O'Leonard, Nello Cronin, Sedling, Nakasadig, the Dunnies, Burn Church, a local local youth uh, group, uh, Tommy Fitzharris, Der- Derek Morrissey, Brian Mooney, Colm O'Queeve, Mick Foley, Kjol Tori, Pubble Osri, and uh, why it's being run. It's a night, as the blurb says, to celebrate and support one of Ireland's finest broadcasters and Irish language supporters with many of Kilkenny's finest musicians and indeed further afield with the Cassidic, um clan coming together or coming they're coming together in July to raise funds to help the legendary Radio Nagail talk the broadcaster Ronan Machedwi. The event as I say happening in the set theatre. Ronan is battling advanced colon cancer and is no longer responding to chemotherapy. He's in need of funding for complex life saving surgery abroad surgery that's not yet available here in Ireland and there's been concerts up in Guidor, Belfast, Meath and in Dublin and uh, this is the Kilkenny leg so everyone welcome to attend and uh, we'll have another chat about it next week because I particularly want to include colon cancer in our Irregular, we'll call it that, health slot uh, we, we, as we're running a series of them intermittently over the, the summer months and uh, that'll be our subject matter next week because uh, there's a novel that, that can be done in terms of uh, not necessarily prevention in all cases but certainly early detection so all to look forward to let's hear just a little bit of the, the music that you can look forward to, uh, to and this is from the Burn Church Band it's coming home, coming home The greatest game the world's ever known For so many thousand years All the legends and all the tears For this hard and day We all proudly make our way From everywhere that we call home We come together to cheer our own
Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. And incidentally, if anyone wants to Google that uh, on YouTube, it's Coming Home, Kilkenny All-Ireland song. Uh, there's a great video going with it, some vintage footage going back over the years. Uh, one of the first meetings of Limerick and Kilkenny, of course, didn't end well for Kilkenny in 1973, but uh, some great footage uh, over, over the years, and including uh, this year's uh, semi-finals and so on. So, yeah, well worth, uh, well worth a, a view. Michael Lynch, uh, manager of Killeen Hill Mart, joins me in studio. Michael, I, I specifically asked that you'd come in early because obviously there was controversy over that uh, RTE Investigates programme on Monday evening. What did you make of it? Well, sure, I suppose, Matt, uh, it made grim viewing. There's no point in saying it didn't. Uh, certainly there was incidents um, that took place in it which you couldn't condone. Uh, they're not something you'd like to see anywhere. Uh, and I'm sure the management and department will look into the, those breaches and deal with them. Um, and I suppose, look, nobody likes to see animals treated that way. And we like to think, I suppose, you know, we all talk about our own place, but in certainly in Kilkenny, we like to think that we treat all animals with the highest welfare standards and we don't use sticks and the calves are looked after and cared for. And I suppose, I'll be fa- to be fair, you were talking a few minutes ago about balls and bashing. There was a little bit of mart bashing going on as well, to, to be fair, during the weekend. I, I, I know a lot of those marts uh, in particular as well. And they do things very well. So it's not, it's not representative of what takes place in marts or on farms or anywhere uh, during the year. But there, look, they, they, there's no condoning the instances that did take place. I suppose they weren't nice. And uh, when that happens, they have to be called out and dealt with. Yeah, and I spoke to Sue Nunn about it uh, on on Tuesday evening, and um, my point, and I'll see if you endorse it, is that this isn't a failure of regulation, this is a failure of enforcement. Yeah, it it is, and I, I, I suppose, like obviously everybody knows how to treat animals, and to be fair, most March staff in, in March, they're from farming background themselves, so they have an innate sense of how to de- treat animals, and I'd say most people do. And sometimes happens in situations, I, I, I know for instance, some of those marts where in Kilkenny you might sell 8,000 calves a year, some of those places are 2,000 a week. And sometimes uh, situations happen, Not that's not condoning anything, it's certainly not, but situations have happened which are unsavoury. But it certainly would not be typical, I think, in any place in the country, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, that, that's important to bear in mind. And I suppose probably, probably to be fair, most people in the agriculture or industry probably realise that too. Unfortunately, I suppose that programme is also going out to people in a non-agricultural uh, sense and they can view it differently. So, look, I suppose we're very much under scrutiny. Animal welfare is a big, big buzzword in the world today. And uh, your, your audience is not just your own agriculture community. It's far wider as people that have little contact with agriculture and they see it differently. So that is important to note. Yeah, and there's no point in blaming uh, the, the messenger, but c- calling it dairy's dirty secret, I, I thought was a bit over the top. Uh, and it, there is no secret that there are thousands of calves, for instance, exported every year. And uh, I thought it was just something, uh, a, a, a cheap shot to draw in viewers. Yeah, and, and, and I think... Everybody knows that animals are exported, and, and, and okay, we're we're all aware that there are groups uh, that are against that, and they make their views known. But the simple fact is, animals are exported. There's two hundred thousand calves exported in, in Ireland every year, and obviously significantly more older animals. That's a fact. That's not going to change because, it, for, from Ireland's point of view, well, we can't say nothing can't change, but from Ireland's point of view, 
it can't change. Because we just can't deal with 200,000 more and we're an exporting country, they have to move. But as you said earlier on, it probably is a little bit of enforcement. There are rules made with, because a lot of the, pr- the pressure groups have tackled this with the authorities and they have come up with solutions to deal with it. The solutions are there and maybe they're not ad- adhered to in situations and that's where the problem lies. Now, I did talk to some of the exporters, uh, and, you know, you meet them at the mart today and we were talking about the, the programme. Yeah, and, and there's some things probably weren't pointed out. A lot of those lorries, for example, you know, when the... Uh, animals are lowered, they're checked out by the department authorities for uh, feeds, bedding. All those uh, lorries have air conditioning and water nipples on them, which they didn't really come across in the program. You got the impression that they were going from um, from France to Barcelona in the heat of the lorry and no conditions whatsoever, which is not true, right? But I suppose if there are regulations there, uh, they have to be implemented because they're under such scrutiny now. And I suppose, look, we, we do hear it happening there the last number of years. The big issues will happen. You can sell calves at 10 days at the moment. There is strong pressure to make that five weeks. Uh, it, there's no point in saying it won't happen. Maybe there'll be some uh, limitation back to four weeks, but it's hard to imagine that they will continue to allow it at 10 days. No, no that's something that George regularly mentioned uh, right throughout the spring, uh, imploring farmers, give the calves a bit of time, strengthen them up, don't be sending them in too, uh, too young. And I, I, th- I think that's fair and reasonable. I mean, they, meet, they do need to be able to walk up on a bo- into a box, uh, out of a box, around the mart and, and back out again. Absolutely. It's crucial. We say that all the time. And I know, obviously... When, when milk price is so high, people do the sums and they come up with, a, well, in our in our view, the wrong solution. But I mean, uh, it, that that will that will that will change if they change the age of it. And I know nobody likes to hear that. And you would, uh, but the reality is, you can see the day coming down where uh, maybe dairy farmers will be forced to hold onto calves longer. That creates its own problems, as we know, with facilities and labour and all that. But uh, the things like what you know, programs on Monday night, and that that puts focus on it and uh, makes it a bit more difficult to fight off. Absolutely. Now, uh, just clarify for me, because uh, it's not as if it's just a general no cruelty to animals sign written up in the mart. That there are clear criteria, and those, in fairness, were spelled out on Monday night by Ray Doyle of Vicos. Uh, you know, no sticks, no yeah. pulling, pushing, dragging, etc., etc., etc. Absolutely. There's clear guidelines there. Uh, it, sticks are not to be used. And to, like the most, most places, they're not, they're not used. They, they, they have little paddles now, plastic paddles, which uh, are used in some places. But no sticks, no manhandling of, of calves, um, and taking care of their welfare conditions in terms of bedding and uh, water and, you know, make sure that they're in comfortable conditions. And handling, unloading, and loading... Because oftentimes, while the march staff are dealing with it, sometimes, you know, some of the owners come in or the, 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 the transporters afterwards, you have to be careful that they, uh, you enforce them to handle the animals in the same way as we're handling them ourselves. Yeah, and to some extent, the, the, the programme had outdated itself by the time it managed, I, I presume it took months to put it together, by the time it managed to get itself together and, and be broadcast, uh, some things were historical, in, including any premature slaughtering of very young calves. Yeah, that, that's gone. That's gone, and uh, I, I suppose maybe, maybe the feeling was, I think, earlier in the year, people felt it was gone, uh, uh, even at the beginning of the year, right? So a pile of while it was uh, gone, it wasn't actually outlawed as such or, or stopped. I suppose with with, with with that going, it's on. But next year we hear that some of the crops won't take the milk without it. So I suppose that is going to um, stop next year. 
course, Matt, that will create its own problem. We now have 30,000 more calves that something has to be done with. I heard one um, well-meaning person, I thought was a bit naive myself, that we, who exactly we is, should develop our own indigenous uh, veal sector. Mm. I, I don't uh, think that's uh, going uh, to yeah, happen. I, I, again, there's probably more people expert than me on that, but I would say that probably has been investigated. Uh, and anyone that has done veal as, you know, here in, in rearing cows for veal, don't seem to have stayed at it too long. Um, so I, I'm not sure that that will be looked at. Who who do it? Would the factory take it on? Would the farmers take it on themselves? I don't know. Uh, I, I think that would need a, a, a fair bit of uh, research before they would go down that route. Just just time for one other discussion point on uh, all of this. And I heard it um, um, said by a West Cork uh, dairy farmer there only a few weeks ago banning the banning the ultimate banning of uh, live exports of calves would make us second class farmers in Europe we're the only large agricultural island now with the, with with Britain gone it would be an enormous discrimination against us it would be an enormous discrimination because obviously a lot of the countries look we are an island so we can't get to our main markets without crossing water that's it so as well we're the one that would suffer most because of so you would be discriminating us from that point of view now the, maybe general things in Europe won't look at it like that but we just have to fight our cause there because if we don't we're going to have a problem absolutely Michael you're staying with me to, to, to give us the Mart Report in a few minutes speaking of Mart Reports we do have uh, the Tullow Mart Report so t- take it away Eric very lively trade here today in Tullow with over uh, 1,200 sheep on offer. Numbers a little bit smaller, but certainly the trade is responding to the tightening of the numbers here. Looking to some prices then. Top price today there being 51 kilos, making 198. It's price of the season really, but it's all happening here today in Tullow. Why you see those good 48 to 51 and 2 kilos, the majority are selling between 175 up to 184 and 5, uh, with a very lively trade there from the butcher activity board online and ringside. Factory time weights here those 43 to 45 46 kilos they're selling there from the mid 160s up to 172 and 3 here and again good lively trade why we see the lighter lambs then the 40 to 42 kilos they're selling anything there flesh lambs from 140 up to 155 and again a very lively trade here Store lamb trade here, starting to open up here. A lot of positive prices here in today in the ring. Uh, Looking to those light stores, then those 30 kilos they're selling from 95 and 6 up to 102 and 3 euro. Uh, with good clean yos and weathers there, 32, 33 kilos. They're selling anything there from 104 up to 110, 112. Uh, with the 37, 38 kilos again here, they're meeting a right good trade there, up to 134 and 5 there given for those good quality clean lots there with lots of flesh possibly going uh, straight to slaughter while well, we would see the cast joe trade here no great change in the cast joes there uh, 180 to 2 euro kind of there for them good flesh heavy yos uh, with top call today of 240 euros there for cast joes lots of yos there uh, those feeder types there from 170 to 190 a kilo and a very genuine lively trade for those fit type yos while well, we go away then to the brood yos here and the opening hoggett sale there last week the tops of the hoggett selling up to tops of 200 30 euro and lots of hoggets north of 200 and there's a large entry of hoggets over there this afternoon here all happening at one o'clock so just to sum up very lively trade here it's mid-july and we have lambs touching 198 there standout price today but lots of lambs north of 170 here also thank you the farm show on kclr with matt o'keefe brought to you by tierlawnfarmlife.com
KCLR Mart Report. Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart. Serving the farming community for over 60 years. Now, as promised, Michael Lynch will bring us the Livestock Mart Report. Yeah, today, Matt, in Kilkenny, we had almost 700 cattle uh, on offer, which is, you know, quite good for July. It's just typically our quieter time. Uh, trade is quite good. Uh, it's certainly for the um, forward stores and uh, certainly the good continental lighter stores, uh, some very, very fancy price for those. Frisian cattle, I suppose, depending on quality, uh, are certainly struggling a little bit. The poorer types certainly would be making anything from 150 to 165, which is kind of prices that maybe 18 months ago they would have been making. Uh, but good quality ones can make anything from 175 and the best of them at 2 euros. Uh, but qu- as I said, uh, a good Angus and Continental cattle are still doing well. Cow numbers are, I suppose, smaller this time of the year. Um, but a brisk enough trade for certainly for the quality loss that were there. In the the bullock side, 600 kilo cattle plus 195 to 316 a kilo or 13, 1300 up to 2100 uh, per head. Nine limousines there, 748 kilos, making 2100. 281 a kilo. The 5 to 600 kilo cattle uh, on 195 to 313 per kilo. The 4 to 500 kilo cattle 128 to 347 per kilo. Uh, two Charlotte's there, 483 kilos making 1500 or 311. And the, uh, the light stores then under 400 kilos making anything from 120 to 350 per kilo. Um, so the, uh, very fancy. Two Charlotte's there again, 378 1220 or 323 a kilo. Uh, heifer ring again, more heifers on offer today. Again, for the better types, a good trade there. The beef heifers making anything from 170 to 310 per kilo. And the forward store heifers, anything from 186 to 316 per kilo. Two limousine heifers there, 455 kilos, making 1440. And the light um, store heifers making anything from 2 euros to 372 per kilo. Limousine heifer, 360 kilos making 13.40 or 3.72 a kilo. So all in all, uh, cull cows, again, small numbers there. Um, the, the lesser cull cows making anything from 1 euro up to 1.30, but the best of the Frisian cows up to 2.20 per kilo, and good continental cows making anything from 1.84 to 2.77 per kilo. All in all, you'd have to be happy enough with the trade when you see the falling beef trade and how it's happening week on week you'd have to say the cattle are holding up pretty well on the March scene. Earlier in the week, um, we had a sheep sale, smaller sheep sale this year, this week, about 420 or 30 sheep on offer. Um, but the trade is very good for those. Um, top call there of 193 euros for 51 kilos. Butchered lambs making anything from 168 to 193 per head. Factory lambs anything from 135 up to 155 per head. Uh, very little store lambs on offer, and our cast joes there, the section that was on offer, made anything from 78 to 185 per head. Uh, no calves on offer this week. I suppose the calf season is almost done at this stage, except for maybe we might see a few older calves on offer. But overall, Matt, I suppose, look, you'd have to say um, quality is, is, is what's premium at the moment. Um, the falling beef price is not helping, I suppose, uh, things. And certainly some people uh, would be suffering at that, at, at that end of it. But uh, stores, grass has helped, I suppose, to uh, the you know increase in appetite for cattle. And trade overall is steady enough. Business as usual next week. Any dairy items? 
No, it's just business as usual next week. Uh, our sheep sale on Monday and whatever calves, if you have calves, bring them on for Monday. We sell them at one o'clock and Thursday our cattle sale, two rings, 10 and 10.30. And as you say, prices relatively steady. Now, lamb prices are reduced a bit. Relatively steady in the mart, particularly compared to, to, to beef prices. Uh, it's... it's um, it's it's not really acceptable though what people are to do about it I don't know no it is worrying and I suppose you always had that fear I suppose um, you know we're talking about pulled again this week to 480 uh, for bullocks uh, it's not so long ago uh, I certainly did feel myself they wouldn't fall below five I suppose probably a lot of people did think that but that yeah. has happened wishful thinking at this stage Michael thanks very much my thanks to Owen Carey who engineered and uh, delivered production tonight uh, for me Matt O'Keefe until we uh, meet again it's uh, goodbye for now farm well farm safely and until we meet again Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.